going to get into the Japanese doomsday cult that is known as Amshirikyo. We've got Mr. Ridge Jackson back here with us to have this Welcome conversation. Back, today. Sir. Welcome, Welcome back, back, sir. It's good Hello, to have you. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be back. Action Jackson. It's always nice being with you boys. Oh, hell yeah, sir. Pleasure to have you. Give me a goddamn chubby. Josh Welch here with myself, Barrett Lewis, as usual, and we are going to get into the second edition of our Killers, Cults, and Conspiracies run, and I know previously we talked about doing heaven's gate but i decided that heaven's gate wasn't interesting enough for us to spend a lot of time on them quite frankly right you're welcome to do so if you'd like but uh, it's kind of just a bunch of outcast nerds who kept running around in campsites together and eventually just drank some kool-aid and killed themselves and wasn't in went large on an, mass went on an alien ride they rode yeah. that alien ship into eternity so that just kind of summed that up for you comet hail bop <laughs> yeah that's right that's right riding on the tails of a hail bop with those sweet payless, I remember payless that fucking comet dude i do i remember being in the back of my dad's car and i went all the way to the back of the car like in like towards the trunk it was like a hatchback kind of you know yeah. what i'm saying so right. the, the back so window was slanted and i literally laid there when we drive drove down 32 coming back from like caledonia or whatever and i remember staring at that thing going wow dude this is fucking cool but anyway i know that was a tangent but we have to begin the conversation with amshirikyo with its founders so who's more popular now or more known now as shoko asahara but originally he was born chitsua matsumoto so chitsua was born to in 1955 he was the fourth son to a uh, tatami mat maker or weaver that is so that's the kind of those bamboo material mats right they kind of like weave them Right. Mm, yeah. Weave them together. Kumada Moto, uh, Japan. So it was there where, uh, you know, in his early childhood and at birth, quite frankly, they saw that Shoko Asahara was blind, essentially. And he was completely blind in one eye and majority blind in the other eye. So he was born to a poor family, so they didn't really have the resources. It was said that their diet largely consisted of sweet potatoes. And that's largely how the family was fed. I could get down on that. Anything gets old when it's the only thing in your diet. So. Yeah, over easy egg on it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Essentially in Japan, a little bit different culture than it is here in the U.S., of course, as we all know. But there is an incentive to actually send your kids off to state-sponsored schools specifically for those in the ADA ranges. So you're talking in this instance, the blind. So there was a school of the blind. So that's where he, Shoko Asahara, ended up at. And it is believed that he kind of fine-tuned his skills for manipulation, leadership, and actually mathematics specifically while attending the school for the blind. Kind of where this started in his younger years, he used to orchestrate actual wrestling matches between blind students. And he would show them how to do (laughs) the moves to each other. And if they didn't execute, it was known, he was known to have outbursts if they did not execute the moves in a way that he would, you know, satisfy him, that is, 
that he would actually go and show them hands on. So like even as a <laughs> he being the only one with some sight, right, is going in and wrestling all the blind kids. <laughs> that right there should tell you how far we're gonna go with the story. <laughs> we're starting off hot. So what you're gonna do is you're gonna pick up that cane and you're gonna lay it across the left side of his face. <laughs> Like I didn't this. say he was teaching them fucking ECW, <laughs> <laughs> fucking garbage matches and shit. Oh, and we're doing this podcast today too, mind you, while we're sitting across from a Daredevil poster that's large, <laughs> and uh, a stick is in there, I believe. And so, yeah, the the blind thing is so just his bulge. The irony's I deep right now. Bigger, the stick or the bulge? And that that's actually the third stick. He gets that out and then he starts. <laughs> Especially Japanese women, he likes to hit him with that one. <laughs> so Shoko Asahara, he, outside of just doing these wrestling moves type things, he ran for class president. Uh, he was known to be volatile. Uh, he would often lose in his attempts to be the class president because the students were afraid of him. Uh, it was known that, you know, they were just pretty much afraid of him. But he would, like, try to start these narratives that the teachers were against him and that the teachers were actually out to get him. So you can kind of see it at an early age. Right. He's already doing his manipulations. Exactly and right. And the teachers would like tell him, no, your your fellow classmates are afraid of you. Like, you don't understand. Another thing that he would do, so he got really good at mathematics specifically, but this is going to kind of play into his entrepreneurial spirit. So because he was one of the few with any eyesight, if at all, in his school, he, would, he, he began a business for himself. And that was to take other blind students for menial daily tasks, dry cleaning, you know, haircuts, out to eat if they wanted, you know, something from a restaurant, whatever the case was, he volunteered to take them, but he would kind of hold them hostage. So once he would get them on site, he would, you know, say, oh, it's a very, very nice place, a very nice establishment that you're at, but how are you going to get from here to the bus station? And they're like, well, you, you brought me here. <laughs> He's like, oh, no, the, the agreement was just to bring you to this place. You right. know? <laughs> so he would like leave people high and dry if they did not give him more money. And then, you know, he was like, oh, well, you can't get from the bus to the living quarters without my help. And that's an additional charge, you know. So he kept nickel and diamond blind people and exploiting them specifically that were going to the school and in actually, you know, achieving a wealth for somebody his age in the time. So it was said that whenever he graduated, he had $30,000 in cash specifically God. from oh, really? high school. 30 grand. Could you imagine accumulating 30? Well, I mean, you know. Even nowadays, that's difficult to do as a teenager. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Fuck, I can't even. I don't. I can't even save thirty grand, and I'm a full grown adult. <laughs> right. I don't think right. I ever will. No, no I, don't I, think I don't think I've ever think had any anything close to that in the bank accounts. So. Yeah, it's easy to see kind of where those first machinations of ultimately the great manipulator that he would be, and you know just how he would deceive people and manipulate them in just specific instances. So after graduating high school, he actually applied, Shoko Asahara applied to be into medical schools, but he unfortunately was not accepted. So he had to settle for acupuncture and pharmacology. So I, so you think like, oh, those, those sounds still somewhat prestige, prestigious, right? But this is a blind guy performing acupuncture. I, I wouldn't try. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know that I would recommend that. I, I don't even, yeah. Like, how does that even work? I well, it's said to be very sensual. Yeah, like, but when you got Shoko Asahara on top of, or like right on your back, putting yeah. little needles in, and he's like, "Don't worry, you're supposed to feel that pain." Right? But it's a very as common, as he looks like. <laughs> it's a very common trade for 
people in Japan specifically that do have difficulty seeing and stuff because it's said to allegedly be, I would know, not that I've ever been to a Japanese massage house myself, but Mm -hmm. from those who told me that have been, wink, wink, uh, (laughs) if you get a blind one, they're very sensual. Damn. (laughs) I gotta find a blind one. So, but... That's that he did have some success. He married wealthy, so that helped him, you know, facilitate getting his operation off the ground. And he had six kids. However, at first he was not very successful because he felt that the services that he was providing should be free because this is about the time he starts to become a religious fanatic as well. And he starts off with teachings and an amalgamation of Hinduism and Buddhism. And then eventually he has this awakening that that's not good enough for him. Well, coincidentally, a lot of other things are coinciding for him at the time. His business is failing. He's needing, he's now understanding that because it, the reason he, I should clarify that he wasn't taking any money for the services that he was providing because it was against his religion at the time. Right. To do so. He was a servant to the community and he was supposed to be providing a service and he shouldn't be charging his clientele. Man. His opinions he, of that changed very quickly though, which yeah. is odd to think that that's the case considering the stories we told you about high school. <laughs> here just now this kind of all led to a head Uh, i think his his practice specifically was in the city of chiba but he he tried to i guess kind of what he tried to coin for himself that he was specializing in in chinese medicine Uh, essentially it was holistic medicine Mm -hmm. what we would know here in the united states of holistic in 1982 he was arrested for selling fake remedies and then he was convicted of fraud, so that in turn caused his business to go bankrupt. So this was starting to look kind of like Shoko Asahara was on the ropes. And so at this period, he became uh, a member of Ogashu, I think is how you pronounce it, or, or Ganshu, which is kind of that blend of Hindu and Buddhism I mes- mentioned earlier and elements of that. I'm just glad you're doing the pronunciations because you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. I would mess everything up. So you're doing great, man. So after the, after the trial <laughs> in his period that he had, which you have to conduct a thousand days of service, essentially consecutively. Holy crap. And he did achieve yeah. that. But uh, he, what he called a moment, he being again Shoko Asahara, a spiritual crisis. He established his own new religion, which that actually started in 1984, and it was called Am Shinsei no Kai. So this was the foundation, though, what would for later be Am Shirikyo. So Asahara began handing out leaflets, essentially kind of in his early teachings and principles. He would preach on street corners. He would teach yoga and healing using herbal medicines once again. So that's working its way back into his agenda here. Then he was he was viewed as relatively harmless in his cult, and they were kind of just a bunch of mountain wizards. Like, in fact, they were recruiting through what was called Twilight Magazine at the time. It was like a sci-fi magazine. So they were like literally were getting a bunch of fucking Okatu, which is essentially geeks, what we would recognize in the United States. But in, in Japan, right. Okatu essentially means that you're invested in your entertainment. So you kind of live and flesh out your life and your fantasies. You're very, you're a homebody and essentially your life is your entertainment. You live through your entertainment. Right. You know, that's the thrill of your life. So right. that would be, you know, probably a lot of your know, folks that are into gaming and, and that sort of stuff that are, you know, stay home a little bit more so and, and occupy their free time with that. You looking at me? Yeah, I was looking at Josh all the time, actually. I was staring daggers right through. So I'm talking to you, Josh. 
God damn it. We're all nerds in our own way. And oh, we are. I mean, we've <laughs> all had our game to get away from my too, wife, sure. and you're saying the same shit to me that she says to me. I, I sit in my basement and stare at a bunch of cassette tapes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody's got their vices, for sure. <laughs> I can't call anybody a nerd. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I've got, hey, it takes one to know one. Right. So Absolutely. I'm just speaking from experience over here. <laughs> so in 1987, that's whenever the Om Shariko end of things would really kick off. And this is when Asahora formed this. Essentially, what happened happened was he come down from this quest in the mountains and prophesied the end of times bringing on world war three so he has like this real fascination you know masturbatory fantasies of world war three being fleshed out and that he somehow is going to be the savior of this so he's the messiah of the east so a lot of what he's going to start doing is blending in things across multiple religions so we talked about the elements of buddhism and hinduism but he's now starting to weave in a little bit of mysticism and yoga and then now Christianity. So this is kind of where he starts getting this Messiah complex about himself. So whenever it came to the Christian end of things, he became very fascinated with the book of Revelations in particular and the end time prophecy, which in turn, of course, would develop his own revelations and what he perceived the start of World War III was laid out in the book of Revelations. Which, to be fair, is probably the more interesting book of the Bible. Oh, come on. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's yeah. I mean, it's literally almost what the majority of Christian denominations nowadays preach heavy on, especially I mean, in evangelicals. It's up there with some of the better fantasy books written, I think. I mean, it's it's really well written. A lot of literary devices right. are used. You know? Right. Imagery. But there's a lot of things that are taken very practically in the Bible. Right. You know? A lot of literal, right. a lot of people Interpretations. In, interpret it literal when it's more metaphor. Right. You know what I mean? Asahara pulled much of what the cult's fictional narrative of end time prophecies was from the works of science fiction actually in 1951 a six-part sci-fi series a novella came out that had the world's leading mathematician as its leading protagonist and then he was kind of the savior fighting and to right the wrongs of the future's failures so and then specifically this entity known as the, the galactic government <laughs> and like, so he gathers society's best minds so outside of just him being the best mathematician in the world and then essentially the idea is they're going to fight off global nuclear pollution and the Avedi aliens in 2199. That's bringing on the complete world destruction. The idea and the attempt is to go ahead and get something like, I guess, a device that can go through and clean up the environment. In 1951, you got to think there's not a lot of things in place like there is today. So they're probably not even like aware of <laughs> the extent that the environment actually is harmed and will be. Right, right. So you have right. to kind of put that all into context too. But Shoko Asahara tried to basically take that, modernize it, because now we're talking about things in 1980. So then it did become a little bit more applicable to his agenda. Right. Mired that in with the book of Revelations, and then he came up with this, his own end time prophecy. Asahara also began in his recruitment efforts to recruit college goers more so at major universities. So he was already kind of getting kind of that youth movement earlier in his cults as well. He would you know, occasionally get an attractive lady. So there was a lady specifically that was doing tax. It was said that there was a lady that was doing taxes for his organization, I believe in particular for him personally. And he would stage her literally at the front of the building to attract young Japanese men to come in. That's smart. And it made all the sense yeah. in the world because right. there's fucking nerds who's never seen a lady probably naked if at all other than in the publication <laughs> of right. some sort you right. know japan i mean you got like it's only below the waist is all blurred out and everything else right. is everywhere right yeah yeah i mean a lot of the stuff on the hubs like that still to the day, to this day <laughs> this is the expert correspondence hey, that we're bringing you first i have spent accounts. many hours in the hub and i'm a little bit of an expert i'm sorry <laughs> 
You're just bringing good research to the bar. Right, right. <laughs> I'm, co- I'm contributing again, Barrett. It's good. Absolutely. So this, of course, with the college-age guys, still nerds, kind of that first wave was anime nerds in particular. But he would literally go on to target people of certain trades, infrastructure and operation that would benefit the cult. Asahara would, as I mentioned earlier, use the beauty, beautiful women in his cults too to allure men. And then again, you know, they, they would think that, okay, well, if I join this cult, I can get a beautiful woman like this. So right. there was quite quite a bit of deception and window dressing that was going on overall, which is, hey, that's that's cults. We've talked about it before, you know. We can go back to the Jonestown episode that we even talked about this previously. For that kind of deal. And, and there are going to be a lot of eerie similar similarities that we come across today that are going to be worth noting too between these two cults. So Asahara also began to kind of publicly gain attention to himself because of his alleged levitations. And so actually he would, you know, take photographs of that. And they started in these wizard twilight magazines that they would, you know, popularize initially at first. And then he would actually do like staged events and try and show his (laughs) healings and stuff through the media. You know, he got to be known pretty well within the nation in and of itself and had opportunities to go on TV shows and things like that and, and conduct public healings and so on. It's also important to contextualize. I know a lot of this sounds like really wild so far. Um, but it's true. What, what was going on politically in Japan at the time, socially? We're talking essentially 1980s is when this is all majorly kicking off. I mean, you're talking 40 years after the end of World War II. Yes. yes. And kind of what was going on, Japanese life and social ongoings had changed dramatically, and you're just decades removed, as Josh indicated. So the post-World War II climate in Japan is they really started a focus on exploring their religious freedoms. This period of time is known as a, a religious awakening called the Rush Hour of the Gods. On the back end of this movement, religious institutions, just like in America, were starting to get state-recognized benefits such as tax breaks and so on and so forth. Amshirikyo started to take advantage of some of these developments and exploit them further. And so they actually got their designation in 1989 to kind of keep things chronological here. That's what year I was born. So they were actually recognized as a religion in 1989 in Japan officially. It's crazy. It's also important to be aware with this religious awakening talk, the undercurrent of what was going on with law enforcement and government officials. They were very apprehensive to do anything, engage religious institutions, investigate them in any way, because if they were to take on such an act, it would harken back to World War II Shintoism, which was essentially them worshiping the emperor like a godlike deity and a glorification of totalitarianism. So they are very respectful people, the Japanese are, and they did not want to even give any remote illusions back to that way of life and doing things. So they took a very hands-off approach and standoffish approach. So also by 1989, the Tokyo Metropolitan Government granted all its legal status, like we mentioned, But this is when Asahara started to begin to call himself the Holy Pope, the Savior of the country, and Tokyo's Christ. So those are other monikers that he's known by. Tokyo Christ Superstar, actually. Tokyo Christ Superstar. There's a production, and actually we shared a video to tease (laughs) here. Also, what's kind of weaving in at this time, too, is he... Asahara put a heavy investment into a production studio for himself. They produced music videos. They produced anime. They recorded music it just it was kind of endless and what's interesting is you can actually rich sent me this link you can go on ebay type in uh, amshamrikio and there's literally you can buy tapes okay, from the cold yeah you're gonna pay like 250 bucks but <laughs> right, hey you know right. if, if it's yeah. a 
it's a it's a nice mantelpiece. We'll put yeah. it that way. And then also like <laughs> maybe you can, like tag when the episode drops, but the of the I don't was it wasn't one of his daughters, was it? I didn't you send some about his daughter? Oh, uh, there's, well, there's two different things with yeah. his daughters. It yeah. was uh, them like performing and singing. Yeah. Or, yeah, I don't even know if they were singing. They were dancing to some weird music in the background, <laughs> and it is the creepiest thing you'll <laughs> yeah. ever see. Well, the anime it freaked me out. I had to turn it off like halfway through. The anime I haven't watched yet, but oh, I, you so sent that, good. and I'm ready. I'm ready to sit down and dive into yeah. that because I've heard yeah. it's wild. So as a part of kind of his media blitz, Shoko Sahara also he he fielded a list of 25 candidates from his Diet, which is the Japanese parliament and he had an idea to run. So they became noticed by their public campaign displays, which specifically they'd go around back to the singing thing and dancing. They literally would pull up like a party bus and they would dance, <laughs> sing uh, like almost like a choir for, I, I guess to kind of liken it as like Christmas caroling in a way, but it, it was not well received by the public. Let's put it that way. They're like, these guys are fucking weird. Dude. They were rejected by the electorate without question. So the Diet, which is the Japanese parliament, they tried to kind of, I don't want to say stage a coup, but they tried to, you know, get a huge voting block in there. Definitely. To, to have a little bit more political influence. So this failure led to a more inward shift of the group. And I know that this, you know, very close to this time, they've kind of prominently conducted their first murder as well, which was <laughs> essentially a member of the church who started to question some of, uh, or I say church, but called Asahara's practices and wanted to do a blood test on them. So he went to go get a blood test, didn't find anything special about the properties in his blood. That blood in kind, uh, because it did not yield the results that he wanted, he kind of wanted to keep it hush-hush. So the idea was they were going to break in and inject him with potassium chloride. And I think that they even tried to do it in a way that it was just going to be the guy, not his entire family. Right. But turns out his whole family was there. So they had killed a 14-month-old baby, his wife, Jesus. and him. They mm -hmm. injected an infant with potassium chloride. And they event, I think they knocked in, caved in both the father and mother's skull with a ball-ping hammer. Yeah, yeah, I remember hearing that they did that to the to the father. They just bashed his brains right. in. But I think the, the mother, I think they may They had started to inject her. her but yeah. she, I think... They injected her maybe first, and then they were going after the baby, and she was kind of fighting back. Right. But, yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> so with this inured failure, they just kind of get started getting obsessed with, like, death, end of times. Asahara became obsessed with Shiva specifically, who which obviously is considered the foster of death in Hinduism. It's kind of multiple hats for Shiva, but specifically everybody's afraid of Shiva mm -hmm. in particular. Yeah. And then also he had this idea that each country would have its own sub Buddha, like this, right? Like franchise of Buddhas that would report back to him, and he was the head Buddha. It's like he couldn't make up his mind about like what structure he was going with here. It's like okay, we're gonna pull from 1951 sci-fi. Here's Revelations. Here's here's Buddhism. Here's Hinduism. Uh, let's let's t let's target in on Shiva specifically. Yeah, it's it's kind of ingenious though because he's just pulling all these different people from different backgrounds in. You know what I mean? Well, what is interesting about that too? So to further your argument there, really, it's. If you add a little bit of legitimacy from everybody's religion, you can cast a wider net, really, right, to right. like allure people mm -hmm. to your right. to your teachings. But one would think, kind of like these wild things that are going on, with yeah, yeah, curtail you, you in a different yeah. direction. But another thing they got to to be known for. So let's talk about kind of what their initial church headcount was. So uh, the cult was had gained about ten thousand followers in Japan by this time as well. 
in 1000 specifically started living on a compound that they had set up at a, in a farming a nearby dairy farming community specifically outside of Tokyo. So the compound sect members would begin conducting survival training specifically, subjecting themselves to drugs and chemicals to induce varying levels of anxiety and then pull them out of those episodes and how they would perform in those situations. Uh, they would start brainwashing techniques where they would roll out hours of community chanting uh, that were employed that were mandatory to participate in, or they would have rolling audio cassette tapes. And those audio cassette tapes was Asahara specifically performing mantras using alliteration repetition techniques specifically to program people. Right. Well, you got a head full of LSD. Like yeah. Well, you got, you're lots. full of LSD deprived of sleep, deprived of the diet also, yeah. which makes people, their will, their will easier to bend. I'm glad you guys brought that up. Cause I was actually wondering how much narcotics played a role in all this. So. <laughs> well, they had, a, they had a bunch of scientists in the cult right, and they right. were literally manufacturing and creating chemical weapons and which we'll get to and, and drugs in particular. Right. Yeah. I think they tried to tip their toes into, like making some kind of synthetic meth or something. Well, I guess meth is, but you know what I right, mean. Like, right, yeah. right. they couldn't, they couldn't figure it out. But they just stuck to like acid and shit like that. Well, they would even sell acid to the yakuza, so they were kind oh, of wow. in bed with. Yeah, they were in bed with the yakuza. Yeah, really, yeah. Yeah. Deals with in the many ways. Hmm. Followers would pay thousands of dollars to to be blessed by Asahara specifically, just a follower to be blessed. But then that took on different levels. To drink his blood, it was X number of dollars. And we're typically talking in the thousands of dollars with each one of these things. Right. Get vials of his bathwater. Drink tea made of his hair. He would also have followers put on headgear that had attached electrodes to it to transmit Asahara's brainwaves directly to them and influence their thoughts <laughs> and their moods and be more like him. That was said to per treatment to be about 70, I think it was about $77,000 to 75000 or 7500 excuse me. And I know that if you actually wanted to buy one. It could, it could be $75,000 yeah. Yeah. to have it, you know, use it at your free will. Mm -hmm. Like being a part of church gave you a little bit of a discount, but right. <laughs> we'll it was up. still like $800 for a vial of his bath water. Right. And this right. dude is rough. Looking. Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. And he's not necessarily like not the clean. vision of physical fitness oh, and no. he's like relatively immobile and almost like constantly when you see him, he's sitting cross-legged, like, but like. I don't know, like pot belly. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, he's a yogi, so he should be like, you know, flexible to some extent, which he was, but it still was like odd to see that man. Like it was, it was hard to believe that he was ambulatory in any way. Like right. the fact that he was, it was like almost kind of comedic to see him you know, moving around. <laughs> right. And this is the guy who so was like so, so stationary teaching people yoga on the streets and stuff. Right. Like we kind of mentioned this earlier. It's important to keep in mind that, a lot of the folks there were deprived of sleep and food. So that would, you know, being paired with these extreme conditions and training could really mess with people like more drastically than it would normally. So like there was, you know, some of the earlier things that they would do with folks is submersion training. So with that submersion training, they would do extreme temperatures sometimes. So they like literally killed people and specifically a man was the first one that they killed. And they essentially, they dumped him in the sub-zero water and he just like he did not hold up whatsoever, and he died. And they also did. I seen they stuck him inside of like a uh, like a big barrel and like just poured gasoline on him and tried to burn him as evidence. And then like oh, Asahara kept him coming back specifically to like check and make sure he was burned up because he's like paranoid. Yeah. So this is like very early on in them like killing right. people. And they, they, they even like pulled out all their teeth and stuff like that. Yeah. Like oh, they would wow. go to great lengths to hide Cover up the crimes. Yeah. yeah. All of these people that they were killing specifically inside of their own cult with the attempt to have these extreme trainings too. There, there was like ridiculous things like 
he would tell members to fall over on their face like a hundred thousand times a day, like no exaggeration. Like that was the number. Mm-hmm. It was more a matter of he was testing people to see if they would do things blindly and follow him, regardless of whether or not. I mean, it's not like literally possible for you to do that. <laughs> fall on your face, straight down on the ground, a hundred thousand times in in one day in one twenty four hour period. Right. But he would just tell people to do things impossibly that, and, and just test them to see if they would even attempt it. Right. And that's a lot of the mind games that go on in cults where they would test members to do things. And again, that some allusion back to Jonestown, how Jim Jones would, you know, manipulate people and ask them to do the most absurd things. Right. And just to see what the limitations were and how much they would or wouldn't believe him. They sent six followers down underground to try and live for a week, I believe it was, or six days, without any food or water. They were trapped under underground. For six days and all six made it back up. What happened with those folks is they were showered with adornment praises whenever they came back up. So that kind of became kind of the poster child for other people to subject themselves to just these wild training sessions so that they, they in turn could get the adulation and somehow, I guess, elevate their status in the cult in and of itself. Who are these followers? You know, are they still the the nerds from the magazine? Are they still the Okatus, the people that are obsessed with computer programming? Are they? Is there still a fragment of these beautiful women? Well, actually, because they went and recruited at colleges, you know, accredited universities, things of that ilk, they did start to attract people of science, which is wild to think that that's the right, case. Right. But they had rocket scientists. You know, that was one of the leading scientists in, in Asahara's collective was a rocket scientist, biologist, he had people from so many different trades, and it's insane to think that, you know, he would actually have people of, of that ilk. And you might ask yourself, like... Chemists, doctors. How do people accept this? I mean, look what's going on in the United States today with the Trump era, with, with COVID, and some of the doctors and scientists and researchers that were speaking ungodly things. And these are people with degrees, you know right. what I mean? And for sure, it, it just shows that, it, I mean, it's, this stuff can happen still today. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There, there are a lot of illusions still yet. So even back to the Jonestown talk, once again, he had a lot of people, you know, people of political influence that, you know, were following his teachings in particular. And it's this I guess, you know, it's really an amalgamation of things, but it's kind of these overwhelming personalities, I guess, like it's where the legend is beyond the person right. in a way. It's like people yeah. get caught up in that. And uh, I know it's hard for like us to relate because I guess we consider ourselves like level-headed people. But when you're talking like rocket scientists, biologists, chemists, like you would think like, yeah, he's probably got a good head on his shoulders. Right. You know, yeah. As far right. as the profession Pretty concerned. level-headed, right. Those people, of course, made up a minority still yet of the cult, but they were definitely employed to be in the cabinet specifically that would in turn cause them the abilities to develop things where things really started to escalate for the cult in 1992 Asahara went to Moscow to develop a branch there in Russia there was much of a spiritual awakening going on there post-world war ii as well the climate there and its citizens very similar to Japan in some respects you have to also consider that the you know Berlin Wall had recently fallen the Soviet Union disbanded in 1991. So if he's over there in 1992 in Moscow, there's people looking to exercise freedoms that perhaps they didn't have before. Right. You know, Russia is kind of its own standalone country at this point. And with people looking to fill those voids and their spiritual desires in large population, you know, densely populated city as well in Moscow in particular, he was able to recruit 30,000 members. So three times the Japan membership, That's insane. <laughs> which is wild to think. How was Asahara able to do this? 
And you would still think just because recently the Soviet Union fall had fallen doesn't mean that there wasn't still some archaic practices, government practices in in line and probably limiting some public displays displays and religious freedoms and that sort of thing. Well, it's good old fashioned bribery, folks. Hundred <laughs> percent. You know, Asahara he would go into these areas and he would essentially either make charitable donations or he would grease the elbows of officials and Russia is one of the biggest countries. I mean, if you're watching like Stranger Things, for example, right now, you know, that's kind of comedic, but it's actually set in a similar time frame. Right. Yeah. And like even prison systems like back then, like I know it's a part of the narrative of the story for Stranger Things, but that's literally something that was going on over there at the time. Still goes on today. Like, you know, it's an oligarchic society ran by a dictator, essentially, who poses himself as a president. A lot of things are controlled by money, by people in power. And a lot of those people at the top aren't even aware of the deep-seated corruption that they have in their own institutions. And that can be said to some extent here, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> no. again, we can get back into that conversation. You know, yeah, uh, we can talk about these people, these families, essentially, that have been in You're the government system, you know, forever here. Uh, we can talk about, I mean, the Clintons right. had their run. The Kennedys are still having their run. The Cheneys. Well, and even beyond that, though, like your Koch brothers, your, you know, your... Right. And you're not talking about the private sector, but... Right, but they still play a big role in how everything works. Absolutely. As these guys started to get a little bit of a good relationship with the Russians, they also somehow negotiated, (laughs) Asahara did, for his folks to get trained by Russian paratroopers for members of his sect. Then Asahara bought a $1 million helicopter from the Russians and then smuggled back AK 47s only to duplicate them in manufacturing and create his own weapons. And not only did he create those weapons for his people, but he would even sell those to the Yakuza as well. So this goes like completely batshit crazy that he was even able to do any of this. <laughs> right. Never get caught. Right. Like, like how does I mean, this go on at this so time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The development of their more militant mindset that would also cause Asahara to actually try and recruit people at home so people are part of Japanese defense. And the benefit of that usually, at least more of more commonly what happened there, is he would get soldiers to divulge secrets about chemical, biological, and nuclear weapons so they in turn could plot to assassinate the emperor or other government officials right. in particular and know kind of like the weak points of infrastructure where they should strike and that sort of stuff too. So he had an inside track on information. In 1993, um, began a heavy R&D program for chemical weapons and and, uh, weapons kind of of mass destruction, quite frankly. They had a downtown location in Tokyo in a residential complex. This location for months had complaints to law enforcement agencies, and they even had photo evidence gathered of their non-religious activities, but never intervened. So the nearby residents finally had enough of this shit and the noxious fumes that were starting to penetrate their environment, their homes, their community. So they went as far to flush out Asahara himself out of this complex. And Asahara, there's, I think there's even footage you can see online of him just like retreating in, I think he has like a Mercedes Benz. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like all, I think it was all a white, white Mercedes Yeah. Benz. All white, like oh, all wow, white interior. Dude. Yeah. He's like rolling out of this That's institution, chariot, getting man. ran off by people. Mm-hmm. Chariot for sure. of the gods, you know what I mean? So it took nearly two weeks of complaints post this event two Japanese law enforcement agencies for them to actually act upon it. By the time that city inspectors finally got there, they were already tipped off and they already moved everything out of 
the residential facilities into a remote Western Australian sheep farming area, actually. Mm -hmm. So off the coast of Australia, Australian officials were a little bit more proactive and encountered them. And they actually fined two sect members for illegal transportation of chemicals. But the incompetence of the Australian officials, there was literally in that instance when they arrested them, 30 bottles of sake with prototypes for sarin nerve gas in it, which ultimately would be a huge weapon for them to use in their future attacks, them being Amshirikyo. This led to the Australian location, how they were able to kind of do, do things as, as absurd as this sounds too, is I think that their, their building, their infrastructure was actually coded as an office building of all places yeah, in the middle of a sheep, sheep farm. Yeah. So that also caused the, the, yeah, the Australian government not to like pay much attention to them nor care about what they were doing. No red flags, huh? No, absolutely not. I mean. Yeah, we're just going to open an office building in the middle of a fucking farm. Yeah. yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> And we're all foreign. None of us are Australian yes. Australian yeah. citizens. And they all just uh, moved in here in a hurry. Right. So that doesn't seem um, we're out away from, you know, people. We're in a sheep we're in a farm area, you know. Wearing white robes. Right. Yeah, you're you're not up to any, up. anything bad up. out there. They're just yeah. chilling. Not about it They're just chilling. They may fuck yeah. a few sheep every day. The sheep are starting <laughs> to die in large mass too in the surrounding area, and that doesn't make any sense. So the lead chemist for Asahara would set up shop essentially at this facility. He would test the efficacy of the gas that they were developing on sheep to start. It was estimated that they spent fifty million dollars specifically just on their sarin gas development before they were even ready to use it on humans. So, right, that shows you the scale of the cult already. Like, how much power... Financial power. Right. I mean, it's insane. They're already spending that kind of money, you know what I mean? A lot of people aren't aware, too, that there was actually more than just the Tokyo attack that's the infamous kind of final final act, if you will, in some respects, at least of Asahara in his leadership of the cult. And a lot of people just know of that Tokyo sarin gas attack at the subway system, but there was actually other attacks and they were successful in some of those attacks yeah. that they had. So the first gas attack by Om was in the city of Natsumoto. It targeted a block associated with hearings surrounding the Om's previous activities that we mentioned. And Om successfully killed seven people and put hundreds in the hospital. Most of the reported initial symptoms uh, procedurally, if it didn't just stop at one, it escalated to these other symptoms. So I'll just kind of start at the front end was distorted vision, the nausea, the loss of vision, hallucinations, hearing voices and noises that weren't there. Even though hundreds of people survived, some of them had long lasting effects, was it whether it was rep- respiratory issues? And it was even said that some folks were crippled. I'm sure neurologically Mm -hmm. they were damaged. Because they had neurological damage that was just beyond repair. Due to the failed police action, many citizens began to engage in open conflicts with Alm in general beyond this incident. So there was many testimonies of kidnappings and hostage situations. One prominent example was a young woman who held her father hostage to to get him to sign over his estate to the cult. Damn. Yeah, so she basically she held her own father hostage to get him to sign over their f- entire family's welfare and give it to the cult. That's pretty cold, man. Absolutely. <laughs> also, Om um, began to have defectors who started to begin to speak out publicly about against the cult, and then of course family members who lost touch with their their loved ones, their relatives, that sort of stuff that had joined the cult and knew that they kind of uprooted their entire lives, sold sold everything, gave it to the church. Very uncharacteristic of the people, you know. So they were getting a lot of reports like this. This essentially forced the government's hand and they were going to let's put that in air quotes conduct a raid but magically um got a tip off three days in advance so this again is speaking to their reach 
Right, right. And that they had people on the inside. Right, they had the information. information. Right. Well, at that time, like, wasn't like the the Yakuza were kind of had some wiggle room with the police. Right. Oh, I'm sure. So there was some corrupt police. And they were, they were all kind of tied together. I'm sure so. it's kind of like the similar situation with the mafia in New York City in right. the 80s and the early 90s. Oh, you yeah. know, like how many times did Gotti get off federal trials because he had somebody in the juror's box? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's, I'm sure it's a very similar situation. Okay. Asahara ordered a preemptive strike of liquid sarin gas wrapped in solvents to be carried out on the Tokyo subways, essentially. So one dozen of his sect members in particular. Now were, we're going on the big attack. Right? Yeah. So this is the big attack. So this is kind of in response to everything else that had went on and him just getting pissed off about his, his progress being impeded. Right. You know, they got uprooted out of this housing development. They went and spent $50 million on developing the gas offshore in another country. Uh, even some of those people are getting, you know, arrested, fined, whatever the case is. Things are starting to come to a head. Defectors, he's getting bad press. You know, people are actually leaving the cult that can. And some of their developments and their harebrained schemes aren't working out. You know, I think like there was aspirations or wants to develop like a building cutting laser that never yeah. came to fruition <clears throat> for Asahara. Yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely did see that in a documentary. There was like talks about him wanting to develop some giant laser that could literally cut buildings in half, and he would actually use that to like hold cities and municipalities hostage. That was the idea, which is a wild thinking. It you is. Know what I mean, it and makes me think of like Austin Powers with Doctor Evil oh, putting definitely. a fucking giant laser on. Them. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of comparisons. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I mean, he yeah. was basically just he wanted like a World War Three. Yeah, like, exactly. Like he was wanting to put. Do things to put blame on the U.S. and get everything right. kind of started. Trying to manipulate right. everything. F- funny that you bring up the U.S. I believe that in my studies I did come across information that he did try to recruit people in the U.S., but it was like yeah. dozens mm-hmm. yeah. was identified membership. So he really didn't have an impact on the U.S. Over in Russia, they're like, Whatsoever. sign me the fuck up, yeah, boys. In Russia, <laughs> I think it's more about like the way of life and opportunities at the time. But, you know, it's really funny. In Japan, also, we didn't report on this. At the time, they were like the second biggest booming economy next to ours. Oh, yeah. Oh, they were because they're technological in advances. Because they too. had a lot of disposable income. Right. Specifically. The, the, lead, the world's leading minds were actually starting to come through Japan. So it's important that they, they being Om Shurikyo, we bring up the fact that they had people on the inside once again. So they were able to get ideas, plans, infrastructure of the Tokyo subway system. And then they found kind of a route that diverged over a centralized location where they would want to conduct some of these subway attacks that they would have. It was the central government district in particular. So they were always targeting government-related offices, buildings, locations, that sort of stuff, because they were literally trying... They were an insurrectionist cult as well. Right. You know, they, mm-hmm. there's many different feathers in their cap, if you will, and, and, and insurrection was definitely a part of their agenda. So this attack, I've seen it reported in varying numbers. I've not seen anything any less than 11 I've seen 14, but somewhere in that range. They actually killed people with this sarin gas attack that they conducted on the subways. And so kind of how they executed that plan is this: these members of the sect that were selected to go on, they would have liquid form of sarin gas wrapped up in a solvent, wrapped up inside of newspaper that they discreetly carried in like messenger bags yeah. mm-hmm. onto the subway. Or like little satchels and shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they would have an umbrella as a device to protrude through and puncture 
but they had to hit it in a specific way because they didn't want the gas to come out too violently too quickly. So there was a technique that they had to practice and fine tune before they even like executed this plan or came anywhere close to it. Right. So a lot of thought, a lot of planning went into this. It didn't have near the impact that they wanted it to. They did end up affecting, there's at least originally 5,500 injuries whenever the, and this went on in March of 1995 specifically, whenever they conducted the sarin gas attack. They also had two other orchestrated attacks. Uh, There was a cyanide parcel delivered to a major subway station that was actually discovered prior to the engagement that was actually foiled. Asahara and the members of his sect were arrested shortly after, and the... They went into essentially, Japan has a a very unusual system in the sense that they do have capital punishment, but it's strictly hanging and you essentially have to have all the cases settled against you before including all of your, your appeals Mm. have to be processed as well. And like he just, Asahar in particular, he actually didn't even, wasn't even hanged until 2018. So here recently in the last four years. Right. And it's not like announced or anything like that, right? Right. They just kind of just sneak that in there oh really yeah. so yeah, they don't yeah, so it's they, not like here where they're like oh this, they're going to execute this person this day at this time you know what i mean vice news actually did a piece where they it's just brief mm-hmm. where they update updated on one of their news segments in 2018 that asahara was about to be put to death and they got in contact with one of asahara's daughters who's doing like advocacy for her father Trying to say, oh, he wasn't that bad of a guy. And he was crazy. He had mental illness. Yeah, and that's an nuts. excuse for doing what he did. Well, clearly the motherfucker was nuts. Right. Yeah. Nobody in their right mind but does anything. But he was intelligent. He, he was a megalomaniac. Like, he created like a Japanese version of ISIS. Like, yeah, an, yeah, an, an innocent, yeah. And, you know, they were actually showing it was kind of humorous. All of the, I guess, kickback that she was getting from these political speeches that she was trying to give, like an advocacy of her father and like people like yelling at her and like being belligerent, which I mean, especially if you had somebody that was affected, like, I don't know how you couldn't. But like there was even people that they even showed footage of that were on the Tokyo subway that, you know, sarin gas attack. Like it's wild to see what the nerve the the nerve affecting properties of sarin gas, what it does like this guy had his arm drawn in really mm-hmm. badly it was like bent um, up weird yeah like he couldn't control it all the way yeah and it's just it's just when you start talking nerves and what it does to people you know if you ever see anybody with like atrophy for example it's right. like you can see like total body mass being just drawn out of them so it's it's just kind of wild whenever you start thinking okay well we're going to do a chemical agent that can affect your whole genetic you know makeup essentially right so sarin gas obviously is, is very effective and a horrific you know agent of warfare if you will but Asahara and his folks they were to kind of get back on track they were found to be guilty of these attacks they were taken into prison he was convicted officially of murder and sentenced to death in 2004 we mentioned earlier he died via hanging in 2018 him and his constituents who I believe there was either 18 or 19 in total Mm -hmm. that was on July 6th of 2018 after losing all of his appeals and they were all exhausted he was executed by hanging so a few other little interesting tidbits that we wanted to bring up about Asahara and the cult known as Amshirikyo. One of Asahara's daughters, coincidentally, I don't think it's the same one that's giving the tours and the speeches, but it would no, be funny no, if it, it is. Wasn't her, he had like it six would be funny. Or or six but kids. he uh, his he has a daughter that was was kind of like him. And she was a fucking psychopath and she actually liked to torture other little kids. And she was a little kid at the time. And she would actually like take acid and do experiments on other little kids in the cult. Damn. So she like burned them with fucking acid, like 
Wednesday Adams like <laughs> kind of nuts on people. We mentioned earlier that you could get on eBay and look uh, outside of just the tapes that are on there. There's other yeah, forms of media that we've kind of mentioned in passing, like the manga. They had a manga series. They had an anime show. They have posters that you can actually get, yeah. like political <laughs> posters and inspirational posters from Um Shirikyo, and it's got uh, Asahara specifically on almost all of the publications. Mm-hmm. It's got like... <laughs> Just remember to breathe. That's inspirational yeah. quote. Just hang in there. It's Just Asahara there, cross-legged. Yeah, I want that one of him like early like on. Like Vince Carter skyhook in the room. Yeah. <laughs> when he was trying to... Uh... Uh, do the levitation thing early on the game when yeah. he's a bit thinner and stuff and he's right. just like wearing like the diaper thing crisscrossed applesauce and he's just like well like, yeah. nobody can see me right now but he's concentrating very hard and straining yeah. and it looks it's like he's shitting hilarious. his brain yeah out. and he's like something's holding them up like three inches off the ground or something <laughs> like that. it's important worth noting too um Shirikyo did split off into two separate cults Aleph is kind of the more prominent recognized what um Shirikyo is today um, the other is Hakira Noah, which rings Ring of Light. And that, that, those, I guess, kind of officially split off in 2007. But I know shortly after the turn of the century, there was kind of movements and splitting up in both. It had already been formally designated as a terrorist group, an organization by several countries, which include Russia, Canada, Kazakhstan, and the entire European Union. But actually, the United States did not recognize um, Sharikio and its affiliates as terrorist organizations until this year. That's insane. 2022. But, but to be fair, 2022. To be, to be fair, how many groups inside of the United States today that we still don't label as terrorist or, or right. hate groups, and they should be? Exactly. That's a fair point. You know what I mean? So a lot of these alt-right groups that we've talked about in particular, you know, you can paint them with that label for sure. Right. Capital punishment too is always an interesting subject. So I wanted to look and see kind of what the approval rating was for capital punishment in Japan. And it's like surprisingly, overwhelmingly like supported. And I think that's probably 80% of the country is okay with their form of capital punishment. Would you gentlemen agree that that's probably more of a cultural thing though? I'd say without question. I mean, you're talking about a society that literally has a suicide force. Right. Right. Well, and thousands of years before practice ritual suicides and stuff like that as well. So it's just something that's been kind of ingrained in their culture, their, their people. Right. You know, then from handed down from generation to generation. So I think they innately have an acceptance for it, maybe more so. Right. Certainly than we do as Americans. We're probably a little bit more narcissistic. Well, not even probably. We are. We are. There's no yeah. question. Do we still execute like um uh, like one of the largest amounts or is that not the same anymore? As far as a state or you're just talking about a country? Like as a country, like on the federal yeah. level. Yeah, we still have quite a few federal um, executions that go down. You know, it's it's more been relegated to states yeah, in particular right, right. that are governing that but there's no federal law outlawing it it's just right. it started to take a, a turn public perception wise that people aren't really in favor of it for the most part yeah that's another conversation for another day yeah capital uh, punishment you know what i mean like i'm, I'm really weird with capital punishment yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think we'll all agree that there's some versions of in scenarios that we could paint that we could probably agree that maybe capital punishment should be considered, but on the same hand, I'd say like the majority of the time that is it necessary? Well, not only that, what, what steps have been taken to rehabilitate that person? Right. I mean, I'm not, this is not a defensive (laughs) of, of Asahara in particular. You know, I think this is going to be one of those cases that I think everybody can agree. Maybe not better off. He's not alive. 
And another thing, oh, definitely, yeah. Another thing is with with public execution, our system is very broken too. So you're not always sure you're executing somebody for something that they truly did. Especially if it's something that happened 50 years ago, right? You know, things have. I mean, there wasn't even really an FBI, or at least an FBI as we know until like the 1980s, right? You know, its infancy was in the late 70s. You know, uh, states weren't even talking to each other across jurisdictions. Right. Even county to county, state to state. Well, that's why so many serial killers were so successful because of that, too. Absolutely. Because of the competition between, you know, state troopers and Nobody was talking to anybody. Nobody would share evidence with one another. Right. But back to the Japanese approval rating for hanging, it's 80%, and that's via 2015 polls. So you can check that out. And that's kind of all the interesting tidbits. Is there anything that anybody else wanted to add in their studies and research, just kind of miscellaneous? It's just, you know, like we've mentioned this earlier, for me with this specific cult, it's just kind of shocking that they were just allowed to do the things that they did for the amount of time that they did. You know what I mean? Like, it's just unfathomably to me. But I think one thing that people do need to take into account is, like you said, you're looking at Japan or Japan in a post World War II era where they're only allowed to have defense force. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, they're trying to decide who they're going to be after having their way of life dismantled. You know, regardless of how you want to put it, that's what happened. You know what I mean? So I think that's kind of where they this comes from. You know what I mean? It's just the development of finding yeah. itself again you know what i mean and that's how these people were able to do what they did i so. think it's important to be aware too like these members like even though like we we talked up kind of the intelligence that was recruited in particular that was just a very small minority though like we're talking like cabinet we're talking like maybe hundred hundreds of people in a tens of thousands cult right specifically really they like other members have to be commended to some level because it takes more than that to develop and do the things that they did and they weren't successful in many ways but like like gold star for effort (laughs) (laughs) is as dark as it sounds because these are people of like limit like you have people doing biology and chemistry that had they did manufacturing weapons chemical weapons ak-47s right Right. you know like we're talking practical weapons we're talking tactical weapons we're talking biological weapons like these motherfuckers like they 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 buttoned down the hatches and they really went to work yeah so that's you know that's another thing that you find common with the colts again back to the jonestown talk is when they get people motivated and, you know, again, there's a lot of tactics. We kind of laid those out here. We kind of laid out some of what they did in Jonestown. People are really able to do like really crazy things if motivated correctly. Right. Under the right mm-hmm. circumstances. That's why, you know, I kind of have a policy. It's just like anybody can do anything under the right circumstances. Pretty much. You know, anytime somebody brings something to me absurd, you know, I have to consider all the possibilities and <laughs> <laughs> look what's happened in the past. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just it it's it's odd to kind of I think that there's some parallels. Josh, you brought this up earlier, talking about this cult. It's sad to see that some things are not listed on the national terrorist, you know, record right. today that probably should be. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Proud Boys, fortunately, have been marked as a terrorist organization here as of recent, or at least identified as as one on the fringe. Right. Good. So there are there are starting to be you know, more political awarenesses, but there's things like. I don't know where we're at on the one percenters. I don't know where we're at on some of these other far right, you know, neo-nationalist right. types. But, you know, the KKK, for example, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't know that they're out there doing any good for anybody. You know, <laughs> Not that I, I'm aware yeah. of. And, 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 and what good is it? What good is it just to put them on a list too? Right. Like, what does that mean? Right. So, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to like advocate for people to take the law in their own hands, but certainly 
Like there's a concern here because we can kind of see this megalomania that played into this group in particular affecting things like a segment of what's being called the Republican Party today and right. some of the movements that we've been talking about on recent episodes and concerns that we've had in the January 6 hearings and what's going on in the Supreme Court. It's it's we need to realize it's a minority that's trying to take a, a charge of the majority. Exactly. So we want to take an opportunity to thank, of course, last week, Doug Wicker for being on the show. Doug was an awesome guest. We're hoping that folks got to check out his short film at the Chattanooga Film Fest. I'm sure there's going to be opportunities to see that. But that was what happened to the others. And we saw a lot of critical acclaim start to pour in even after the first night of the showing. As soon as we got off the call with Doug, there was already articles being shared I have positive reviews for a short film. So Doug's a great guy. So go 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 support his stuff, guys. I'm for yeah. sure. We're excited to see that. And Doug's Doug's done a lot of good work. Uh, I mean, we talked about it in the past. We've shared some of his work on social media. If you get a chance, check something out. Just leave a yeah. comment. Like yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Share it. Leave a comment. Just anything you can do to support people. Get on the support before this motherfucker hits a bid because he's about to hit a big too. Yeah, yeah. He's got talent. Yeah. And it's going to shine through and it's going to pay off. I also wanted to give a quick shout out to, we've been trying to make this a point if we're getting feedback on the show to shout out, shout out people. So Rick Hanna, thank you for your comments. Spreading the love on the ATI podcast community page. That's what we're looking for. That type of interaction, detailing your fondness of the show. Really appreciate it, Rick. Speaking of the ATI podcast community, I got to bring up the fact that RJ here with us today, Ridge Jackson. Hell yeah, baby. He's got his waxing on segment. He did his first submission from all. It's a Fargo death metal band that's on there. Five out of Fargo. They're fantastic, so check it out. You got some other stuff in the works for that, though, right? You're thinking about trying to make it uh, it a sexy, sexy time? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, maybe next week, try to turn something out and do, like, I want to start doing it on a video format and uh, just doing over reviews, over the... The album itself, or maybe if a single drops, do like a single drop. Hell but, yeah. Um, even the different formats of it. Like right. what sounds, does the analog, like a, like a tape or a vinyl sound better? What did I enjoy? Um, also yeah. try and like bring some love like to a lot of bands that are just like killing it that nobody will ever know about. Right? Yeah. And yeah, I enjoy them a lot, so it would be really awesome for other people to hopefully if they don't like it whatever but maybe take a few days or not a few days but a few uh, minutes out of your day listen to the song and see what you think i'm excited for that because like there's so much shit that you guys show me all the time i'm like how the fuck do i not know this (laughs) yeah hell yeah man keep that shit coming yeah i want to i mean I'm, i'm pretty excited for it hopefully it comes out good Oh, yeah. But yeah, we're going to add a video element component to that whenever Ridge isn't available to do a, a video. We'll just do kind of a little picture collage drop sort of thing like yeah. you did here on this last time. But we're going to keep that going. We're going to be working on some other content as well. We talked about at the toward the Roe v. Wade and the, oh. some of the other things we had in the works. So we appreciate your guys' support in our other endeavors that we're trying to do. And we're just trying to make the show a little bit more interactive for our listeners. And just try to be a little bit different outside of the box. You know, you can probably go to many other podcasts and and hear kind of your more popular bands and music and that sort of stuff. And that's great. That's fine. And it has its day in the sun and time and place. But we, the platform that is this podcast is always about accentuating, bringing light to people, things, artists, works that are obscure, you know, kind of turn over that rock and find find something that and expose you perhaps to something that you wouldn't have been exposed to in the past and maybe develop a new interest or like for you. So let's talk about what we got going on next week. 
next episode where it's going to be the cookout drop. Hell yeah. <laughs> and so that's going to be a good time. That, that so should be entertaining. We've been talking progressively a little bit more, more show to show on, on what we're doing there. Josh and, Josh and I are going to kick off the beginning of the episode kind of talking about what Independence Day is to us, what it means to us, what it's meant to, to us traditionally, kind of our first and early memories of it, how we celebrate today, that sort of stuff. And then we're going to have some special submissions from people that's been on the show before. Some of them are going to be comedic takes or satirical takes. There's going to be some more serious takes, but I think that there's going to be something on there for, for everybody to enjoy. And just, it's going to be one of those episodes you just kind of crick. It's going to be a little bit more lighthearted, sit back, crack you open a beer, a little serious talk here and there, but, but most of it's lighthearted. So enjoy also, your time with your family and I'm going to try friends. some video work for that too, for the socials. So oh, make yeah. a little compilation. So we also got the episode following that special is we're going to have Jason Hebb on the show. Jason Hebb's an old friend of everybody here. Hebb's been in some local bands down here, but now kind of working out in the St. Louis scene, more particular with kind of his skate punk bands that he has and that sort of things within that genre and wheelhouse. So Grave Neighbors and No Point are the two bands. We featured No No Point on the episode six, the Cato Tribute episode at the end with their song Gatsby that they had was featured at the close. We will be interviewing Heb Remote actually from the studio. So while oh, they're recording yeah. the album, so yeah. it'll be a Fuck nice yeah. little different touch. Yeah, thanks for doing that to for the us, inter- boys. interview. And uh, so we should have a little bit of a studio in the background. That'd be kind of cool, neat to to have up on the show feed. So, yeah. Ridge, we want to thank you for doing this again with us. And yeah, man, anytime. Love having you on. I think our I love being here. Our net, we're going to try and get into that, and we love you too, sir. <laughs> Don't want to go that without a comment. You better. <laughs> yeah. You better love me. Love me. God damn it. <laughs> love me. Drink my bath water. Hey, hey, that'll I got, be eight. That'll got be this eight. tea with my hair. <laughs> I'm ready for a Rich, Jack, Rich Jackson hair tea, please. Somebody it'll be, it'll be $800 <laughs> if you join my sect. So Ridge is providing our routine content with the waxing on Ridge Jackson, but Ridge, of course, is our honorary co-host for this segment of the show. So I think kind of the next thing we've talked about perhaps is Gacy or a serial killer to kind of mix it up and get off the Colts. So, I am so ready for that. Oh, so yeah. there is a new companion piece I'll encourage folks folks to check out right now and that's the Gacy tapes so they've kind of take so the good. same approach as the Bundy tapes and so it's, it's presented in the same way and fashion and if you saw the Bundy tapes that was phenomenal so that should be a selling point enough but we're gonna I think we're gonna hit Gacy next yeah and with the Gacy tapes a lot of that is new audio that hasn't been released until this release because right. a lot of it was yeah. interview with his attorneys and so it was like private discussion. So there's a lot of juicy stuff in that. So I definitely would recommend watching that show. So and I think somewhere on down the road too is we're gonna have to get into the, the toolbox murders, which oh, is definitely to of the the most brutal, if not the most brutal those dudes serial killings I've ever heard. We're wild. Yeah. So if you, if you haven't you might want to go incognito mode and certainly don't search them at work. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 There's some, I mean, there's actually tape audio out of their tortures that is just yeah. unsettling. Well, not only that, man, you, you got to be careful on Google anymore either because like I've like looked up some stuff about this and was doing some image searches and I was like, holy shit, man, I can't believe some of this stuff's still out there. So yeah, definitely be careful when you're researching this stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that being said too, I don't want to go off without leaving. There's tons of stuff out there on Shirikyo. There's no way that we could just do it complete oh, justice enough. No. This way. is an introduction to you guys to go out if it intrigues you to you know, search some more. But there is just, they are a cult that was obsessed with like filming everything they were doing all the time. So there's tons of footage of them out there. There's tons of exposure of them in the media. 
they they were like I said, they went out, they campaigned for political movements, they did press junkets, they did TV shows, they did talk shows. Asahara's meeting with the Dalai Lama was publicized. I mean, like mm-hmm. he they they are everywhere right. in in the Japanese culture in that time frame that they were active. So there's plenty to see out there. So we can't encourage you guys enough to get out there, expose yourself to something new, try and find something new, explore, expand your mind. But for this week, that's all I have for you. So I am Barrett at Barry Insane on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm Josh, the OGW on Twitter and underscore Joshua Welch on Instagram. And if Ridge, you want to be found? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm going to give out my Instagram. I keep it pretty private on there, but I am going to be starting uh, Instagram for the waxing on. There you go. Okay. uh, Hell yeah. So So when when that's done, we can tag that. That sounds good. Tag it in the group and get that stuff going. I'm I'm just very lazy this week. Came back from vacation and. Oh yeah. All good. (laughs) Well, it's holidays. Enjoy it. Spend time with your wife and kids. You know, no doubt. So for this week, we are out of time. Until next time, good night and good luck. Stay safe out there. Hey, this is Josh from ACI Podcast. For show updates and news about the podcast, follow us on social media. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ATI Podcast 22, on Twitter at podcast underscore ATI, on Instagram at the ATI Podcast, on TikTok at ATI Podcast. DMs are always welcome. Have a question for the show? You can always email us at atipodcastquestions at gmail.com. Stay safe out there. This is Barrett from the ATI Podcast. Each week, Josh and I discuss current events, pop culture, music, TV, movies, politics, sports. Nothing is out of bounds. You can also tune in to learn about rising artists, small businesses, whether it's music, graphic design, filmmaking, or even a brick-and-mortar mom-and-pop shop, we will be spotlighting folks in their endeavors. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Anchor, or anywhere you enjoy your podcasts. Just search ATI Podcast. We would like to thank you for your continued support, and as always, please... Stay safe out there.